Hello and welcome to Software Tech Talks. I'm Zoe Cunningham. Today we're going to talk about women in technology and I'm joined by Sarah Binney, a software developer from Software, and also Sasha Burgoyne, who is a project manager at Software. Hello. So, hello. hello to both of you. Let's kick off. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and your role at Software? I'm Sarah, if you can tell between our voices already. I'm the software developer, so I came to Software straight out of my physics degree. I joined as a graduate developer two years ago now. And since then, I've worked on lots of different projects for a range of clients, working mainly in Java in practice. I am also our CSR officer, so I'm in charge of our charity budget, organising outreach events in the office, that sort of thing. Give me an interesting fact about yourself. Uh, interesting fact? Oh my gosh. I spend my spare time writing puzzles and fiction. Sometimes I write them at the same time. That's mm. quite fun. <laughs> Amazing. And Sasha? I'm Sasha, and as well as being a project manager at Software, I also work with Sarah as diversity champion, sort of part of our CSR initiative. I came to Software having been a project manager for roughly two years before, and also having done some work around user-centered design. I've sort of dabbled in a lot of lot of different things, really. And I'm slightly weird because I did an arts degree at university. So, <laughs> ah, right, and that's something we can have a chat about later on. So let's start at the beginning. <laughs> Why are there so few women in tech? If we look back at the pioneers in the tech space, Ada Lovelace, Catherine Jackson, Dame Stephanie Shirley, there have been prominent female technologists since the beginning. So why do now, in 2019, women only take up 17% of the roles in the tech workforce? It's a shocking stat, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 17. I think there's an interesting look at the sort of history behind women in tech because it was originally considered women's job they were literally known as computers I think so when women were working in like Bletchley Park during the war for example that was all considered women's job it was sort of similar to like secretarial work and then slowly it sort of evolved into this more science technical industry which has historically always predominantly been dominated by men And I think that with that shift away from it being considered secretarial to it being considered a science, that sort of heralded the shift to this more male-dominated industry, which, given there are also statistically fewer women who take STEM subjects at university, I think that's a key part of why you end up with so few women down the very end of the pipeline actually working in tech. I think another one of the problems which is more related to how tech currently functions is that a lot of people who currently work in technical roles started out, as you say, in in STEM degrees at university. And of course, actually, there's nothing really in common with spending six hours in a laboratory titrating things. That doesn't really have anything in common with coding. Mm. I think that link is overstated and the link between building software and creativity is understated but it's a funny sort of job it sits in between science and engineering but also business and the creative arts because we view computing as science Mm -hmm. only scientists can go into it yeah and this is very interesting because the word science is now cropping up in a lot more areas Mm. looking rather than looking at data analysis we're now looking at data science so is this going to be a negative move and I think Mm. also it's worth discussing do you need a stem degree to be a coder I mean I'm not the right person to ask because I have (laughs) 
Well, um, perhaps Sasha then. Um, Let, it's time to uh, talk yeah, about that art degree. Break out that uh, <laughs> very, very relevant classics degree. I don't think so at all. I know other people who studied classics with me who are now software developers. Particularly, I think when you're dealing with language, it has a lot of similarities to coding and you can often take what you've learned there and, and apply it. But as Sarah was saying, it is quite creative. And I think so much of it is about the image that the industry has, which it, it has an image of being very male dominated anyway, which doesn't help it. And as you say, there, there is a lot of language around it as well that's sort of obfuscating what it is. It's like once you're initiated into tech culture, then you know all of these secret words like SPA and <laughs> Java and all these kinds of things that you know what they mean and the outside world doesn't. And I think that is also a bit of a barrier. And people who are doing arts degrees, for example, or, or don't have a degree at all, that just adds that extra layer of barrier to them actually thinking maybe I should or even could do this thing. Mm. I think yeah, I think the jargon's really, really important. And I think I definitely learned a lot of what I know about computers from the internet, just from Googling stuff. Mm. A lot of internet communities have very short tempers for people who don't know what they're doing or who mm. ask the wrong questions or don't know what they don't know. I don't want to be saying, oh, everything comes down to feminism. But at the end of the day, I think that's a gendered thing. Mm. That I think if you ask the wrong question and are shown up, then that's a really difficult thing to write yourself from. And if you try and participate in this discussion and are immediately shouted down then of course you're not going to go unless you're really you really persevere you're not going to go back and try again to break into it mm. it mm. makes it a much harder environment to ask questions when you're learning as well I think you know I initially tried to do a couple of online coding courses and the way that they were teaching it was very mathematically based as if they were sort of expecting me to know what a lot of these words meant already like it was like oh and if you want to use an integer and I was like well what's an integer and I just found myself googling things constantly that makes it a big barrier because it's it's like you're having to relearn a language at the same time as learning the actual software development at the same time whereas once I had some very helpful developers at Softwire just stand there and say oh no it's this and I was like that makes so much sense why did no one just explain it in very simple terms rather than using a very long complicated paragraph that I just could not wrap my head around there is a sort of probably protectionism around it where people are like oh this is my thing and I don't really want new people learning it because that makes me less valuable and clever and mysterious I don't know what, mm. <laughs> what people think about themselves but there is that sort of element to it and I think as you say the sort of online tech communities do seem to have a very kind of high bar for the amount of knowledge you have to have before they'll even respect the question that you've asked mm. let alone let you participate in discussion. So moving on to what can we do about this I think there's actually quite a lot of answers in what we've discussed in terms of actually seeing what's there and working out how to change it. But in terms of prioritising what we do next and most urgently, what are the priorities? Depends what you want to achieve, doesn't it? I mean, if we are literally just looking at, OK, you, you have this statistic of 17% of people in, was that in the tech industry in general, being female? Yes. Presumably at the, at the top levels of, you know, managing directors of firms and CEOs, that's even lower. But if we're just looking at increasing that number, I think you have, do you have one set of tactics you can take? Stuff like one of the things that I know Softwire has looked into recently is recruiting returning mums mm. who are, want to retrain after having had kids and they're going back into work 
looking at trying to encourage those sorts of people. So different demographic to graduates. I think for me, one of the really important tactics is just making tech a really nice place and making it more friendly. Back to the thing about, you know, Mm. being online versus, you know, I think being taught in person about how computers work, participating in an online discussion is never going to be a substitute for having somebody there in front of you who's really engaged with you in a a human way. And I guess the, the punchline is that we just want tech to be friendly and Mm. if we can do that i think a lot of other things fall into place one of which is that we improve our gender balance yeah so the existence of organizations like code first girls code bar you know organizations that are specifically rallying people together to train women to code Mm. in person and building those communities yeah. yeah i think even going back sort of further than that as well because i think if i'd have known as I was about to graduate university thinking, oh no, what do I do with this mostly useless degree? Um, <laughs> if I'd have known that I could apply to somewhere like Softwire by just learning a little bit myself and kind of starting to figure it out because I like puzzles. And if someone had said that that was enough and that that was mm-hmm. something that I could have done, I would have done it. And I think for me, a lot of it was this barrier of not knowing that that was even an option available to me. Um, I I knew I wasn't, you know, I hadn't done maths at A-level or anything like that. So it was, oh, okay, that's that's clearly not for me. I should be in a job that involves, you know, people and creativity and more, I guess, administer- <laughs> administrative roles, not those clever high science-y roles. And I'd really like to be able to go to even just sort of school-age kids and teenagers and say, look, have you thought about doing this? Because you might have this image in your head of a very specific kind of person who's suited to this. And that's not the case. Lots of different people can do it. And the more different people who do it, the more we bring to the industry and the more interesting the industry becomes and the better the industry is. And we will advance a lot further, a lot quicker if we have all those different people. Mm. I think the the barrier to getting in tech theoretically should be really low not in terms Mm. of like in terms of knowledge Mm. in terms of of, you know skill and personality obviously that's wherever the organization wants it to be but one of the things that I really really value about about software like the only reason I felt able to apply here was that ostensibly you don't need to know how to code at all Mm. and and obviously no 18 year old applying for apprenticeships no graduate applying for jobs has necessarily had years and years and years of experience you're going you know the the organization when you take on a new developer you know you're going to have to train that person on from whatever level they currently are to a, to being a professional and the investment that the organization has to put in into training that person is really high mm. so why not broaden your remit a bit I, I don't feel like it's understood from the perspective of the applicant enough that you're going to need training so it doesn't matter if you don't already know everything Mm. if that makes sense and actually organizations being open to training and talking about training and talking about this is one of my pet bugbears about organizations this (laughs) idea that people are always looking for someone who can do the job perfectly already experience required Yeah. yeah and then that obviously becomes so circular and actually if the way that people are getting around that at entry level jobs is by the people who can train themselves on the internet you know working up and kind of coming in almost fully formed that's not a great thing for diversity and more organisations taking the time to train people and recognising what a valuable investment that is for the future. Yeah, And this is one of those cliches that, I mean, I don't necessarily have a proof of it, but I, it rings true for me, which is that men apply for jobs when they meet 70% of the criteria or 50% or whatever percent, whereas women will only apply for a job if they meet 100% of the criteria. Obviously, that's a sweeping generalisation, but I think that is 
actually true. Yeah. And I think it's a case of, as you're saying about having fully formed developers coming to you, despite having never had a job before, <laughs> there's this image in tech, particularly of this kind of technical wizard genius, uh, who is just going to come to you and be able to solve all of your technical problems. And that is a again, a very kind of damaging image for mm. particularly people who are just starting out because they're never going to think that they, they can meet that. It's it's an impossible yeah. achievement. No yeah. one is ever going to think that they're a technical genius. I mean, some people probably do. But, <laughs> but certainly, you know, from a sort of graduate perspective, you are massively narrowing down the pool of people and also the kinds of personalities who are going to apply in that particular case. You know, you're missing out on a lot of people who could bring a lot of interesting and different qualities to the industry by having this sort of image and sort of a front in a way um, <laughs> that only a particular kind of person is clever enough to, to yeah. be part of this industry. I mean, no one's, no one's able to solve every problem, you know. No. And only an organisation, like a big community of people is able to solve every problem because mm. everybody has blind spots and everybody has strengths. And I mean, this, this comes back to another cliche of the tech industry that's very sort of, here is a brain box on a computer who will solve your problems. No, that's not that's not how any tech company works. I think it's always, you have to work in a team and you have to compromise and you have to be able to communicate with people really well. And that's, yeah. I mean, obviously that's true for most sectors, but I think tech pretends like it, it isn't true and it mm. is. And how about bringing people in even younger so are apprenticeships a good thing for diversity or is it not going to make much difference no I think I think it is because again I think you're catching people at an age when particularly if you go to university there can be a feeling of okay I've just spent several years doing this thing I should try and actually apply it or even that's the kind of person I now am and I'm kind of Mm -hmm. defining myself by the degree I've done I know I definitely did that and if you're finding apprentices again it's that kind of young enthusiasm and they don't know necessarily what they want to do and it might be that they come try software development and are actually like it's not for me but on the other hand they could come in and be brilliant at it have never thought that they'd be any good at it and bring something entirely new and fantastic to your organization that you just wouldn't have got if you'd have only been looking at that very narrow pool of people who come out of a university degree again it's just helping you to really widen your recruitment base fantastic well one of the really positive things about this talk is we are all three women who are already in the tech industry (laughs) so i'd like to ask you both like what was your main influence for pursuing a career in tech like how did you end up here i'm a massive nerd i don't know about you guys (laughs) oh no she took my answer (laughs) and when i say nerd there's lots of different kinds of nerd because as i said i'm not i'm not a maths student by any stretch of the imagination but I have always been just really interested in what's been going on in tech and anyone who's been unfortunate enough to get me talking to them about smartwatches will happily tell you that I will get very boring about them very quickly. <laughs> Don't uh, let her talk to you about smartwatches. <laughs> <laughs> just nip that one in the bud before I go on about it. On here. <laughs> and I think it is just about having that interest and I think a lot of people have an interest in the tech industry they just maybe don't realize it and I realized it by being a recruiter for software developers and realizing that the bit I liked most about the job was the talking to said possible candidates about what they were doing just day to day. It's like, oh, what are you working on at the moment? And that was all I wanted the answer to. I didn't care if they were looking for a job, really. (laughs) That was sort of beside the point. Um, I wasn't a very good recruiter. And that was what really made me think, hang on a minute, this is something I actually really love day to day. And I'm reading all these articles and I'm being involved in this community sort of on the periphery and never quite being 
confident enough to think that I could be a part of it. Oh, well, maybe I can just find a very basic job. And I think I started off as an account executive or some other sort of something that doesn't really exist, I guess, in a very, very small startup that just desperately needed someone to help with very basic things. And just slowly kind of did more and more and more jobs. And that was how I got into it, because it was how I felt comfortable doing it rather than thinking oh I could potentially be a software developer I just went well I just want to be even a part of this amazing industry like even if I don't really have anything to do with all the the wizardry that goes on at least I'm there and I'm part of it fantastic (laughs) well in my case I'm sort of coming to it from a different perspective I guess in that I wasn't even that interested in that I never would have thought of myself as being really on top of where technology was. I think I was always just more interested in reading science fiction books, but you know, I that was enough to make me go study physics. And then I realized pretty quickly that I did not want to be a physicist because I really don't like sitting around in laboratories. And you know, the idea of being an academic wasn't that appealing, but I knew that I really liked building things and I stuck with that really. Awesome. So looking to the future, if you could go back and like give yourself some advice, what would it be? And perhaps also this can then broaden out to, you know, giving advice to other people too. Like if you're thinking about technology, if you're not thinking about technology, what's the advice that you'd give? I mean, I think I've sort of touched on it a little bit already in terms of that I would want to just tell myself that it was something that I could do and it was something that I could consider. Um, as it was, it was smartwatches that got me into it uh, by accident because I just wanted to change something on my watch. <laughs> and was like, well, okay, I guess I'd better learn C. Um, <laughs> and <not> logical. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that's the thing. I think from my perspective, there was always this, this kind of me and then all of these very clever people that I definitely wasn't a part of. And what I would want to do is, is go back and, and just say, no, that's not what it's like. It's, it's not this very, very mathematical and science-based industry. And you can be part of it. And it's not that you have to be this genius who already knows what all of these words mean. I mean, I think it still would have been difficult because, as I said, particularly when I was... There's a lot of very, very good online resources now. And there, were some, there was a lot when I was looking at learning but they certainly would have still been very maths focused and very assuming that you had done some kind of science Mm. before and knew what you were doing. And again, the sort of online communities wouldn't have potentially been that much help. But I do wish that someone maybe even just at school had looked at my various, very artsy A-levels and said, sure, you did drama, but have you considered tech? (laughs) And because... I don't think it was ever mentioned. I I cannot remember it being mentioned to me or anyone else at school that tech was even an option for us. There was a lot of, well, there's finance, there's being a doctor, there's being a lawyer, there's being all all of these different things. And being a software developer was just, that wasn't even on the menu. And I think that would be something, and it is something that I want to go back to schools and, and talk about. Because whilst now, obviously, there are more kind of coding classes for kids at schools, I think just telling people that they can do it and that it is an option for them is what I'm most yeah keen to do yeah I I definitely agree with that I don't remember really having any career-based stuff we we, we did my school had some pretty good career type engagement but I don't remember anything remotely related to computing ever being on that list Mm. and I've actually been really impressed with whenever we've engaged with schools as a a company that all the for example a-level students 
that we offer work experience to, they're often a lot more savvy. I mean, not by definition, if they're doing work experience in tech, I guess. I think really recently, like in the last five, 10 years, that has changed, that schools are a lot more savvy, a lot more schools are offering computer science A-level, which is really cool. It's just more on people's Richter scale that learning to code is worthwhile, even if you're not necessarily deciding to be a software developer, which is obviously quite a hardcore version of I'm going to dive straight into coding, I'm going to apply for this job that is 99% coding. But, you know, even just as a sort of thing to put on your CV, yeah, I know, JavaScript or whatever, that's really useful. Mm. Um, Sorry, back to the original question, which is about, like, offering advice. I think, yeah, like, retrospectively, the first line of code I ever wrote was in Code Club at lunchtime, at school lunches, and it was in Visual Basic, which I was, I literally figured out how to make it do one particular thing, and I remember thinking this is the most amazing thing I've ever done. And then, of course, I started Googling around, and everyone was going, oh, Visual Basic, what a dreadful language, everybody hates it, (laughs) and I I felt quite stupid. I felt like, I, oh, I've formed this emotional attachment to a language that everybody hates so I guess that would be one thing to tell myself is that (laughs) actually there's nothing that wrong with it it's just a bit messy sometimes (laughs) and stick with it I think the reason that I really got the coding bug was because I went and made a sort of little computer game at school which was just it was like I was really into Final Fantasy at the time. So it was like me building my own little Final Fantasy with my own game engine in Visual Basic. And (laughs) honestly, best thing I've ever done. I have a degree and a really great job now, which I love. But, you know, it's never really going to compare to me sitting there on a school lunchtime typing away at my Visual Basic. So I think there's something about engaging people in such a way that you have to tap into what people already kind of want to be doing or something that they already value a lot and the nice thing about about coding about building things is that there's lots of different versions of that which are really worthwhile yeah I can remember the only piece of coding that I did at school was somewhat tellingly about finding the optimum layout for a kitchen (laughs) uh, (laughs) which I was not interested in in the slightest <laughs> sounds almost 50s doesn't it so yeah of. and it's funny you just think back on it and you're like what what were they thinking <laughs> well thank you so much sarah and sasha and thanks to you for listening I'd like to remind you that there are a number of open vacancies at Software. If you're interested in applying, you can contact us at software.com. As Sasha says, even if you have a classics degree, or follow the conversation and tweet us your thoughts and comments on the topic at Software UK. Thank you very much. Thank you.